Hey, good afternoon. <clears throat> this is uh, the following up episode of Debunking Decline. And today I'm here with uh, Dr. Ernie Navarro, uh, who works with me here at Apex. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about COVID. <clears throat> there's been quite a resurgence of cases. Uh, there's been threats of shutting down states again, things like that. And we thought it'd be a good time to kind of revisit this topic uh, and bring you up to speed in terms of kind of how we think about it. Um, I think between us, we feel like we really kind of have COVID figured out, uh, at least for ourselves. And um, we just wanted to walk you through some of the some of the ways that we think about it and give you maybe some insights that you haven't heard before about it as well. So <clears throat> I will say this, that we're also going to talk about a client of ours who's actually had COVID um, and actually had COVID twice. And um, so we want to talk with you about that and kind of how we got that person uh, diagnosed, how we got them through the situation, the things that worked well for them. But to sort of set the stage for all that, uh, I thought we'd just talk a little bit about what we're doing with regards to identifying people at high risk, what we're recommending for people at high risk, and then some of the things that we're taking pretty much on a daily basis or, mm-hmm. or certainly if we feel any symptoms coming on that we found to be incredibly effective at um, pushing the symptoms off. Um, we both have been back traveling again. I just got back from Colorado for Thanksgiving. I was up there for four days. Um, I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Miami. I have another trip planned to San Francisco in December, another one to Park Cities. Um, so we're really, we haven't really slowed down. We feel like we really can move around. Um, and while we're being cautious for other people's sakes, wearing masks and doing all the appropriate things, washing our hands, we really feel like we're not threatened by the whole by the whole COVID thing at this point in time, not in a serious way. Right. So let me just start off by talking with you a little bit about high-risk groups. And you're probably familiar with these, um, but there may be a couple of things that you're not familiar with. So one is people with obesity, of course, have a higher risk, have a higher baseline inflammatory pattern, lower immune cell function. Um, people with diabetes, similar situation. People with high blood pressure, uh, similar situation. And then people with cancer. And it's interesting that the way that the coronavirus actually attacks the cells is it has a protein spike. And that protein spike has to be split into two parts. And then a portion of the spike will attach to the ACE inhibitor, the ACE2 uh, receptor, rather. It has to attach to that receptor, the ACE receptor. Um, It turns out that people that have prostate cancer um, have a lot of protein running around in their blood called TMPRSS2. And that really facilitates that cleavage of that protein spike on the coronavirus and makes it much more adept at actually connecting to the ACE receptor. So people with prostate cancer are very high risk. And we think this is part of the reason why men, Mm -hmm. as opposed to women, show greater mortality. And there's some other cancers that we identified too. Yeah. Across the board, it seemed to be present, but prostate was the highest, and I think that's a yeah, good point. Yeah, clearly the, pri- the highest, and I think next to that was probably colorectal, maybe stomach, kidney, um, cancers like that, yeah. a little bit of genital urinary, um, but it's clearly prostate by far and away is, is uh, the biggest deal, and it doesn't just apply to people with prostate cancer. It actually applies to people with prostate enlargement, so even if you have benign prostatic hypertrophy, you know, you're getting up in the middle of the night. Uh, urinating frequently or have a lot of urgency or a sense that you have to go right this minute, uh, those people too are at rest because they are at risk because they 
also have higher levels of this TMPRSS2 protein floating around. So that's pretty interesting to note. <clears throat> um, there's been some recent data, interestingly enough, that people that are low in thyroid um, don't survive as well should they get COVID. And one of the things that we do here at Apex is we're, we're really optimizing thyroid in a very sophisticated way, not just with blood work, but with resting metabolic rates and things of that nature, looking at heart rates on exercise tests to really get people kind of dialed in. And we think that makes a big difference. So thyroid's a big player. <clears throat> um, it's also been shown recently that people that exercise regularly have more resilience to, to COVID. So we think that's a big deal too. And then we recently saw that there are people out there that have autoantibodies. It's kind of like an autoimmune disorder, but they actually have antibodies that attack their interferon. And interferon is one of the immune system elements that basically helps you fight viruses. So if you have antibodies that are basically neutralizing your interferon, all of a sudden you're much more susceptible. And this accounts for some of the people that are younger that may actually die because they don't necessarily have symptoms of having antibodies to interferon until they get something like corona. So this accounts for some of those people. We'll talk about some of the other reasons that young people could die also. So the other thing is anybody that's taking immunosuppressants, um, anybody that's on those for you know, autoimmune diseases or uh, things of that nature. And then another thing that we look at quite regularly on all of our clients, and this is through a company in Austin, Texas, uh, we look at genetics and they've actually developed a, a profile, a panel, if you will, and I'm sure mm -hmm. they're not the only ones, but they look at what a person's susceptibility is to developing inflammation in the face of a viral infection. And we found that to be very revealing. So again, you can look at a young person who's otherwise healthy, mm -hmm. and you can see that they've got three or four genes where they're homozygous for developing these inflammasomes or these really tornadoes of inflammation, if you will. And all of a sudden, they're much more susceptible to having lung disease and disorders and potentially shortness of breath and dying mm -hmm. than another healthy 35-year-old would be. So those are some things that we wanted to talk to you kind of on the risk risk front, if you will. And then one of the things that we're doing, recommending to people is, um, you know, you can take your temperature every day. If you see your temperature go up, it's a good way to monitor at home if there's an issue. Um, we take our temperatures every day when we come in the office. Another thing that we do is a lot of us wear these whoop bands on our wrists. Other people are wearing aura rings in our practice. Um, both of them will report out, and I think the Apple Watch does too, what your respiratory rate is. Mm -hmm. And we've been seeing that um, when the respiratory rate goes up, that it's a good indicator that your oxygen concentration in the blood is going down and that you're breathing faster to try to compensate for that. There have been reports of people going to the emergency room with oxygen concentrations, which normally are in the mid-90s, let's say 95, 98, coming into the emergency room, um, with respiratory saturations or O2 saturations in the 60s or 50s, they're breathing very fast, but they don't necessarily feel that bad. And it's kind of a, a stunning thing, quite honestly, mm -hmm. to see that. But you can pick that up if you want to monitor yourself with one of these devices. So that's another. And actually, the client you talked about, that's how we initially knew to check for COVID. The root band, they had a terrible recovery score in the morning. The HRV was in the tank, um, the respiratory went in, respiratory rate went up. Yeah. And we knew, we're like, okay, stay, you know, isolate yourself and we're gonna test you and sure enough. Exactly, so. and tested positive, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So this is, I mean, this is working for us uh, in real time with, uh, with the clients that we work with. Mm-hmm. And we have had clients that have gotten COVID. Nobody's died of COVID. We've been able to get them through it. Um, we'll talk to you a little bit about that too. So taking your temperature, measuring your respiratory rate. Um, and then another thing that some people are doing is buying uh, oxygen saturation monitors, which are little finger probes that go on your index finger. And it will tell you what the percentage of oxygen is in your blood. Um, so if you see that dropping, that's another indication to, hey, go get a COVID test. So oxygen saturation, respiratory rate, or your temperature going up would all be a reason to go get a test, if right. you will. And the respiratory rate going up and the, you know, the O2 saturation dropping down can be you know, seen before you even start to feel physically short of breath. Exactly. Which you know, might delay treatment if you wait for that. Exactly. Yeah, if you're waiting until you feel bad, you've probably waited a little too long. Yeah. So you want to try to be monitoring these things um, early. And one of the things that we have learned about COVID is that um, acting quickly and acting early seems to make all the difference. Now, before we get to exactly how we treat people with COVID and why we use what we use, uh, we want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we do routinely for ourselves and for our clients with regards to actually keeping them healthy in the first place. And so one of the key levels here uh, that we look at is vitamin D. And vitamin D is a critical, it's actually called vitamin D, but it's actually a hormone. We look at vitamin D3 and vitamin D2 levels um, for people. And we also boost their vitamin D levels up into a higher end of the range. We find with our genetic testing that a lot of people don't actually have receptors in the nucleus where vitamin D attaches that's very, um, that are very effective. Mm-hmm. And so they can have a high vitamin D level in the blood, but still not have functional vitamin D inside the cell. So we tend to push vitamin D up to levels of 80, 90, even 100 we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people will say 60 or above is good. Um, you know, the, the recommended level would be 30 or above, which we think is actually too low for many people. Um, and you need to consult your own physician to see what's right for you. And um, most people, as it turns out, are deficient. Whether you, even if you live in Florida, you know, a sunny state, Arizona, people don't get as much sun as they need, and they just have, like you said, the genetic um, difficulty processing vitamin D. So yeah, exactly. And it's not even it's it's not even just the receptors in the in the cell that are an issue. We also see genetics that make it harder for them to make vitamin D right. in the first place, or to transport it from the skin to the liver for conversion, or to the kidneys, things like that. So. Really, vitamin D is a complex hormone that's required for over 200 operations in your body and the immune system being very dependent on vitamin D. So we love vitamin D and push those levels up. Uh, we're usually taking about 10,000 a day, yeah. uh, 10,000 units a day. <clears throat> now, again, consult your physician before you do that. I'm just telling you what we do. Um, vitamin C, also very important. Um, you know, having good vitamin C levels is important for your immune system. This is something that I do if I feel like I'm coming down with something. Um, and what's your routine if you feel like you're coming down with vitamin C? What do you do? I'll do, um, I mean, I usually try to eat vitamin C-rich foods, of course. That's mm-hmm. the best source. But I'll take emergency packets, just mm-hmm. throw it in a glass of water three times a day yep. at least and space it out because you, you're going to urinate most of it out. So you want to make sure you're getting kind of a constant dose throughout the day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the same thing that I do. I don't necessarily do that every day, but I do it if I feel like I'm coming down with something. Um, Another critical element for us is zinc. Um, 
So it turns out that zinc can actually block coronavirus penetration into the cell. Um, and it's really interesting. We don't have enough zinc either. We test for zinc in a lot of our clients. A lot of people are low. Um, there are different ways that you can, you can get zinc. <clears throat> One of the ways we like is using uh, the Zycam lozenges, actually. Yeah. They taste pretty good. If you just take elemental zinc on an empty stomach, you'll get nauseous. You really will. You get sick to your stomach. But when you do the Zycam, it's actually flavored. It's not bad. And you can actually take a Zycam up to six times a day. And again, consult your physician, but the recommendations are you can take it up to six times a day and that will give you a healthy level of zinc in your system. Uh, the other trick there that most people aren't aware of is that if you take the zinc and you're drinking tea, which has something called EGCG in it, particularly green tea, EGCG, um, you actually facilitate the zinc uh, getting into the cells so that it can do its job. So we like drinking green tea with the Zycam. Um, yeah. Yep. And then we also have um, a couple of other things that we do. One is um, there's sulforaphane that we use, and yeah. we use it in the form of uh, Abmacol Extra. And at, what's extra about the Abmacol? Abmacol is a trade name for sulforaphane with myronase. Myronase is an enzyme that activates the sulforaphane, so we like that much better than just sulforaphane. And the extra is it has um, these glycans with it, that actually help boost your immune system. So we think Abacol Extra is a wonderful thing to take. And the Abacol Extra actually blocks the coronavirus from getting into the respiratory tissues in the first place. So we're taking that, I'm taking that every day. Every day, yeah. Every day, yeah, every day. And it does so many good things for your genetics in terms of optimizing upregulation of certain genes that you want to have upregulated and downregulating other ones. We won't go into all that right now. Detox, but it, yeah. De yeah, detox, that. exactly. Um, so. It's, it's a great thing to take. One of the other things that we use a lot here is something called Arteracil. Um, and Arteracil is actually an agent that restores arterial function. So let's say that, let's say that you have an artery. Um, you tend to think of your arteries having a skin on the inside, muscular layer around that, and then connective tissue layer around that. So you have this pipe. But on the inside of that, on the skin itself, is a proteoglycan or a glycoprotein, which kind of looks like um, the grass at the bottom of a stream. And that glycoprotein that, that's there, kind of going in the flow of the blood, if you will, protects the artery from the deposition of cholesterol and damage from other things. And it turns out that that glycoprotein is very, very sensitive to things like sugar and saturated fats. So when we eat sugar or take saturated fats in, we actually destroy that glycoprotein and it melts away quickly, quickly, just like if you had, you know, uh, a blow dryer on um, cotton, candy. cotton candy. Exactly. <laughs> Good example. So a blow dryer on cotton candy, it just melts away. This is the same thing. It just melts away in the face of saturated fats uh, and sugar. But if you take the arteriosil, and we've done a research uh, project on that here in, in the practice, and shown that it regrows the glycocalyx. You can actually watch it happen over 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Really quite phenomenal. Yeah. So we take that with every meal to protect our arteries. And it also blocks the virus. There's a study that showed it blocked the virus from entering the endothelium of the arteries. So that's protecting your arteries from some of the effects of COVID. Yeah. yeah. Really, really cool stuff. So we like the Abmacol for the respiratory tract, the Arteracil for your arteries. Um, and then iodine. Wow. Yeah. Want to talk a little bit about iodine? 
Well, I mean, iodine, first of all, you need it for your thyroid, and we talked about needing a fully functioning thyroid, you know, to fight off COVID, yep. but iodine itself has antibacterial, antiviral, anti, just anti-everything. Yeah. Yeah. Properties. So yeah, you yeah. really, you really want to, we yeah. want to make sure you have, you know, the correct levels, of course, consult your physician, but we definitely like iodine. We all take it. We do. Yeah, we do. And it's possible to take too much iodine. And that's a important to understand right. too. If you take too much iodine, you can kind of crash your thyroid. So getting the right dose, maybe talking to your doctor about that. But there are some iodine-rich foods out there like kelp that you can eat. Or everybody's gotten away from using Morton salt, right, which is basically as iodine. Everybody wants sea salt, which is great. You're getting different, you know, nutrients from sea salt, but you're missing the iodine. So if you use a little bit of Morton salt, you can actually boost your iodine levels back up pretty readily. Um, and you're probably not going to use enough salt that you're going to make yourself toxic. Right. Or get the iodine sea salt. I think now they do make Yeah, sense. exactly. That's that's a and great still point. still prefer the sea. Right. So one of the other things is selenium. Um, when this all started to happen back in February and March, there were papers being written about the fact that a lot of these viruses arise in parts of China that actually where the soils are depleted of selenium. Mm -hmm. And that people over there have low selenium levels and are much more susceptible to these kinds of viruses. And so the idea here is to get some selenium into your system. So we recommend eating one or two Brazil nuts a day. You really don't need more than that. I wouldn't eat a whole bunch of it. You can get too much selenium. Um, but one or two Brazil nuts a day is a good thing to do. And we, we do that pretty much on a regular basis. Yeah. One of the other things that um, we think is really important is melatonin. So melatonin. We make a lot more melatonin when we're infants, when we're children. Um, infants and children don't get coronavirus for the most part. They're protected. And melatonin in adults basically decreases inflammation in the body. So it seems to have a very salutary effect on some of the genetics related to inflammation that we see in our inflammatory genetics panels. So we're big fans of taking melatonin at bedtime. And one of the interesting things about melatonin is there is no one dose. So we've seen people that respond to a half a milligram, and I've seen people that need 50 milligrams before they actually start to feel an effect. So the thing to do is to sort of titrate the dose of melatonin for you until the next morning you feel a little groggy, and then back off three milligrams or five milligrams or whatever it is, or one milligram, until you find the right dose for yourself. But the melatonin we think is very, very helpful. I think the interesting thing about melatonin is a lot of people just think, oh, I sleep fine. And then they, they think they don't need it. Uh, that's the point. If that helps you sleep, that's a great side effect. And we love that. And sleep is important for your immune system. But we really like it for its antioxidant, anti-inflammatory properties. Yep. And just it's, they're just finding more and more basically benefits of melatonin. Yeah, it actually potentiates growth hormone release. And we know right. growth hormone levels go down with aging. So being able to potentiate that, and we have all other ways to do that. But melatonin is, is I think, essential really uh, for your health, even if you don't feel the right. benefit to your point. Um, <clears throat> so um, N-acetylcysteine, this is a precursor to glutathione, which is your body's main antioxidant. When you have inflammation in the body, you're creating oxidative stress. So having some N-acetylcysteine, 900 milligrams twice a day is what we use. Some people use 600 milligrams twice a day. Um, and the other thing, really the magic bullet for oxidative stress in our world is molecular hydrogen. 
So we use H2 Max, put a drop, a tablet into about 12 ounces of water, dissolve it over two minutes and drink that. And it actually modulates your entire oxidative stress system. It'll actually upregulate genetic expression to help you handle oxidative stress. It's a great adjunct to anything related from pain to injury, to inflammation, to brain function, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yep. And then um, there's a couple other more specific things that we use. So those are the things that we're doing really kind of on a, on a daily basis. Um, oh, the other one that I left off was we're taking some curcumin. Um, UltraCure, TheraCure. Um, yep. Some of the um, turmeric forte. Turmeric forte. Some of the, <clears throat> some of the really high bioavailable uh, turmerics or curcumins is what you want to have. And those are the ones, turmeric forte, TheraCure, and UltraCure all have um, molecules attached to them that enable you to get lots more curcumin into your system. Otherwise, it just stays in your gut. It's a good anti-inflammatory for your gut, but it's not really getting to the rest of your body as efficiently as you would like. Right. So we do that. Um, and then... And SPM. Yeah, and then SPMs. <clears throat> exactly. Good point. Yeah, we love SPMs. Dr. Glenn, I know, I think everybody, all of our clients are in SPM, mm -hmm. including ourselves, yep. just because of its amazing anti-inflammatory properties. You can talk a little bit more about Yeah, the, the story on SPMs <clears throat> is there's a, a, a PhD uh, gentleman at Harvard, basically, who uh, was looking at fish oil. And when we take fish oil, we know it's an anti-inflammatory, but fish oil is actually metabolized down various pathways. And it gets to a point where it's creating these products, which are called resolvins, which actually resolve inflammation. And SPMs are actually just concentrated resolvins. And these are 250 times more potent, 250 times, 250 times more potent than fish oil itself. So we love SPMs, uh, whether you, you know, for anything, but certainly in this context. Right. Especially with people where we know their genetics and they're more genetically prone to that cytokine storm, which can be devastating. We make sure that's... Absolutely. Yeah. So we're taking those for other health reasons, but certainly that'd be one of the first things we would go to if we felt like we were coming down with COVID. Yeah. Um, there's two other things that I want to mention to you. One is um, a couple of tinctures. Um, one is a, called five fungi tincture. Um, you can look that up, five fungi tincture. Um, and it, it basically is uh, a distillate of five different fungi, as you might imagine. But they've been shown to basically boost the immune system. And so we like those. You want to have a strong mm -hmm. immune system to fight COVID, and you want to be able to monitor and modulate the inflammatory side of, of the immune system. So right. we like the five fungi. And then the other thing that I've been using, I don't know if you've used this as well, but there's another tincture out there called immune tincture. Um, and this one has astragalus, echinacea, Oregon grape, golden seal, and elderberry. And from the genetics, we've seen that particularly elderberry will modulate these inflammatory genetics quite nicely. But I've taken this, and I guess it's been used for 5,000 mm -hmm. years in, in China, but this particular combination, if I feel myself coming down with something, I take a dropper full, put it in some water, take emergency Zycam, uh, some echinacea, and um, I wake up the next morning, Yeah, I'm like, perfect, really. And that happens over and over again if I ever feel something. So. We like that a lot too. Um, one last thing is that it turns out that gallic acid, uh, which is found in French herbs and, and green tea, also has an antiviral property to it. Mm -hmm. So the French herbs like uh, summer savory, sage, basil, 
uh, tarragon. Time or oregano. Yeah, thyme, oregano to less extent, but oregano is good antiviral. Mm -hmm. But those are really high in gallic acid. They're great for your arteries. They're actually great for sexual function. They're great for lowering blood pressure. They're great for people with cardiac disease, but they also have an, a nice antiviral uh, property to them. So uh, actually, I eat basil. <laughs> I just eat basil. I like it. It's, you eat a lot of basil. I eat a lot of basil. It's good stuff. Um, so anyway, those are the things that we think about on a routine basis. And then if we feel like we're coming down with something, those are some of the things that we would take. Um, now, what about if somebody actually gets COVID? They test positive and they've got it. What, what, what are we recommending there? Yeah, so we definitely continue that stuff because especially the SPMs, you want to mitigate that inflammatory response, basically. Mm -hmm. But then there are the prescriptions, of course, and one of which is pretty controversial, right? Um, but we found that they actually do work. Great. You want to go ahead and... Yeah, so we, we love hydroxychloroquine. I know that initially there was a lot of controversy about hydroxychloroquine. Um, and whether or not it worked and that sort of thing. But I can tell you that um, the whole key to treating COVID is to treat it early. So if you have somebody in an ICU on a ventilator, um, you know, and they're at death's door and you give them hydroxychloroquine, it's not going to do anything. A cat's already out of the bag. Hydroxychloroquine actually works by decreasing viral entry, and it also works by modulating the inflammatory cytokines. And when you couple this with azithromycin, which is an antibiotic, and people say, well, how can an antibiotic be used to treat a virus? I mean, why would you do that to treat a virus? Well, it turns out azithromycin actually blocks uh, viral entry into the cells. It also modulates the immune response. Mm -hmm. It also upregulates your genetics to be able to fight viruses. And it also upregulates several of the interferons to help you fight viruses. Right. So, I mean, uh, you can't you can't go wrong with azithromycin. Um, That's one of the few times where I think as doctors we would say this antibiotic is okay for a virus because in general correct it doesn't make sense right. That's but, right. But absolutely for yeah so absolutely long. for this and the two are synergistic together so we get both of them together and a dose is 400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine twice a day for the first day and then 200 milligrams twice a day for the next seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. And azithromycin, the same thing, one pill twice a day or two pills the first day and then one pill a day thereafter. And we've had great success with that. I can't tell you how many people we've sent that in for. They're feeling terrible. They've lost their sense of mm -hmm. taste or smell. And two days later, they call us back and say, I feel great. And yeah, you got to continue it, but start it early. That's the yep. key. And the other thing about hydroxychloroquine that's interesting is that it helps transport zinc into the cell, right? That's right. Zinc ion, that's course. right. So we know that's another mechanism why, A, it's important to do zinc when you're on it, but that's right. why it also works. That's a great point. So you really want to be doing zinc with the hydroxychloroquine and the azithromycin. So you want to be taking the Zycam lozenges at the same time. So that's a great right. point. Yep. Now you're just kind of, you know, putting an empty bullet into the cell. Yep. So you want to put it all together. Yeah, and mm -hmm. you've, you've probably also heard that um, the red blood cells can have issues with uh, COVID, that people can have these really low oxygen concentrations. Um, and part of that is due to the fact that the virus will uh, decouple the hemoglobin from the oxygen and make it to where the oxygen can't bind to the hemoglobin. But it turns out that the hydroxychloroquine, which is used to treat malaria, actually blocks that effect by blocking the red cell 
receptor, mm -hmm. so the virus can't get into the red blood cell, and it, it does away with that issue too. So we're actually big fans of the combination of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc. We think that's really the first way to go. Yeah. So beyond that, you know, there are things out there. Um, steroids, inhaled steroids, uh, have shown benefit for for pulmonary issues. Um, high dose vitamin C has been shown to be helpful. Um, ozone has been approved here in Texas, uh, where you, people have their blood pulled out, ozonated, put back in. That's been shown to have antiviral uh, properties as well. Um, and then um, there's Gilead's remdesivir, which we're not very impressed with, quite honestly. I don't think it really works. Um, I think, you know, the only way it actually worked in the study was when they combined it with something else. I just, I'm just not impressed with that drug, and it's very, very expensive. Um, I think it's also hard to, you know, the data is, is one of those things where I think, you know, patients have to meet certain criteria. Usually it's also very late in the course. They're already intubated in the ICU, and then they have to then they can get the remdesivir. Again, it's probably, maybe would be more beneficial if they got it Early earlier, yeah. but they're reserving it, you know, it's in low stock and and then at the end of the day, no one gets a beneficial dose of it. Yeah, I think if you take one thing away from this, from this uh, podcast that we're doing here right now, this live stream, is that if you feel like you have it, you should act early, you should act quick because you can actually turn this thing around in a matter of hours or a day or two, but if you wait, then you're really kind of mm. trying to drag yourself out of out of a right. hole per se. And that brings us to really the last topic we were gonna talk about, which is <clears throat> if people have had COVID, there's a whole syndrome now of people that are sort of post COVID. Right. They feel really fatigued, chronic fatigue, they don't yeah. have their energy and that sort of thing. And I know you had some experience in treating this one person. Do you wanna talk a little bit about uh, yeah, so what I you think did? For whatever reason, you know, people can either lose their taste for months or, you know, have fatigue for months and whatever the case, the general complaint seems to be specifically um, fatigue. And it's just, I don't feel the same since I had COVID. So with this particular client, we started uh, using poly MBA actually, yeah. which is an amazing um, supplement we've been using. Yeah. So that's something you probably haven't heard of poly MBA, poly like Pollyanna and MBA like motor vehicle accident. Right. But it's basically poly MBA, it's minerals, vitamins, and amino acids. And it was developed by a physician, actually, as a way to, to sort of turbocharge mitochondrial function. Right. And we know that in a disease process, uh, we know this from Dr. Navino out in uh, San Diego, that there's actually stages that the mitochondria go through in the disease process of infection or, or any other thing, for example. It's a cellular defense response. So the mitochondria is actually the sentinel for the cell. So when an attack comes in, whether it's a virus or bacteria or whatever else, the mitochondria are usually big, plump, you know, energy-producing uh, organelles. But when that, when that attack comes in, they basically break up into small little uh, organ, organelles and they stop producing ATP. Mm -hmm. They kind of hunker down because they don't want to give a lot of energy to the virus or the bacteria to be able to spread. And that's a, that's a cellular defense response. There are three stages to it. And in order for somebody to get well again, to actually mm -hmm. feel good, they've got to go through all three stages to get back to normal functioning mitochondria. Right. We've had good success with using poly-MVA as a way to sort of turbocharge that process to help people get back to feeling energetic again. Yeah, basically reboot the mitochondria. Because we know mitochondrial dysfunction and disease is kind of the basis of pretty much all disease, right? Yeah. So it, it all comes down to that. So if you can get the mitochondria working, then you can fight disease. You know, you can get over lingering inflammation and 
exactly. shortness of breath, whatever, wherever it's concentrated. Yep. And you feel good. That's yeah. the basic thing. You feel like you have energy again. You feel like, oh, yeah, I want to go do something today as opposed to, oh, man, I can hardly get out of bed. And the other neat thing about it is you can shoot, you know, put an IV. You can inject it intramuscular. You can nebulize it. Mm -hmm. You can drink it. So whatever, you know, diseased, whether it's skin, you can put an injection around there. There's like a non-healing wound. In this particular case, we had him nebulize it and basically directly go into his lungs, which is what was causing his issues with shortness of breath and some fatigue. And within days, he was feeling better. So Exactly. Exactly. And that was cool. really exciting for us to see the, the quick turnaround on that. Um, so I think PolyMVA is, is really great. I will say this, that uh, our practice, ApexHHPLO.com, ApexHHPLO Health, Human Performance, Longevity, uh, optimization.com um, that we carry all these things we're talking about. So if you have an interest in where do I find that or whatever, you can go to our website at apexhhplo.com and just send us a message and we'll be happy to help you in, in whatever way you, you feel like you need help. So we'd be happy to do that. Um, and I think really, is there anything else that we wanted to cover today? I think, I mean, that's, we covered a lot of the technical stuff. I think you, you can talk a little bit about this, but I think, at the end of the day, we want you to be outside. We want you to be breathing fresh air. We want you to stay right. active, bicycling. You know, you don't have to be wearing a mask in your car, you right. know, and staying hunkered down in your own home. We want you to not be isolated because that has, you know, detrimental effects to your immune system as well. Yeah, and that's a really good point. So we have a lot of people that are really hunkered down, and it's important to realize that they're actually weakening their immune systems. So you've right. got to pay the piper, you know, on one end or the other. And I think people that are just living in a closet and they never go out and they never see anybody or whatever else, their immune systems are actually getting weaker. Mm -hmm. So we're more advocates of actually getting out there, wearing a mask to protect other people and yourself to some right. extent, washing your hands, taking precautions, a little bit of physical distancing uh, when it's appropriate. Um, but go ahead and live your life too. I mean, right. you, you can't stop living. And we go outside and exercise and run and bike and do all those things. And it's just so good for your for your mental yeah, peace, right? So and it's it's tough because a lot of the elderly people they're the high risk and they're having to stay inside, mm -hmm. and it's affecting their cognition, it's affecting their immune systems, and then even their muscles are getting weaker. So exactly, it's a we still haven't figured that out yet, I don't think. But we do, in general, are pro, you know, definitely staying active. So definitely staying proactive, and I and I think the. Um, the other thing about it is that if you see a jogger and they're running towards you, you're not going to get COVID from them running by you. That's not how it works. I mean, the exposure is a function of the dose and the time duration. And when they go by you for a second, you know, your dose exposure there is so low that that's right. not really, it's really not an issue. So if you're comfortable wearing your mask outside, then, then do that. If you're comfortable without it when you're exercising, do that. I see people riding around in their cars with masks. Right. I don't know what that's about, quite honestly. You're, yeah, you, you actually should be breathing more open, fresh air when you can, like right. in your car, maybe even with a window open. But yeah. anyway, people, you know, they feel better about it. So Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, I hope that's been helpful to you. This is just giving you some insight in terms of how we think about it, what we understand about it, how we prevent it, how we treat it. We haven't talked anything about testing or um anything of that nature but we can get into that on another podcast yeah. uh, we haven't talked about vaccines which we can get into an, on another uh show as well but i think this is enough to give you an idea of uh, kind
kind of how we think. And again, if there's anything we can do to be helpful to you, you can reach out to us at, at uh, www.apexhhplo.com. Great. Until our next show. Thanks.